Um, okay, so we are on now. We are holding by Melachim Beis, Perek Yud Gimel, chapter 13. Um, last, last, well, last week we didn't learn because it was Shavuos, but the week before we finished Perek Yud Beis, and I said that I wanted to finish something up uh, regarding what we learned then before we move on. So here's a little bit background, and again, uh, some review and some addition to what we learned earlier in chapters uh, Yud Aleph and Yud Beis. So, of course, the general conversation that's been going on for some time now is the two kingdoms. I mean, that's uh, most of what we've been learning for the last couple of months is the story of the two kingdoms um, that live side by side in Eretz Yisrael, the kingdom of the ten tribes and the kingdom of the two tribes. And as we've been learning, the Navi goes back and forth. We learn a chapter or two on, in the ten tribes, and then we go to the two tribes and back and forth, and that's why sometimes it's a little bit um, hard to keep track. And of course, uh, different lists and charts are good, and depending on which Tanakh you may be using, so a number of them have some good lists and charts of the kingdoms of the two, the two kingdoms of Israel of the Jewish people. Um, the last uh, fascinating event that we learned about was with the evil queen, a uh, wicked queen Atalia, and her grandson Yoyosh. So I want to—I I just want to review that and add an interesting perspective to that. Um, in we, 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 the general picture that we're seeing is the king, the kingdom of the ten tribes is almost always bad as far as idolatry and so on. Um, their history is not a good one. The ten tribes, and actually, I should say that though at some point we said we're going to try to finish Malachim Beis together this uh, semester or period of time, it's not going to happen. We're not going to finish Malachim Beis, but what we now we won't. And hopefully, we'll get back to it after the summer. But um, we will get to the end of the Ten Tribes, though, because they are exiled. And I think next week, hopefully, we'll get to that and at least finish that section of the story. Um, be that as it may, so we have the following. The Ten Tribes typically are idolatrous. The two tribes typically are, are good, as far as uh, Torah observant. Not always, uh, but more, more often than not, the two tribes are, are, uh, go in the ways of Hashem. Um, some of the recent kings of the two tribes, you had... Um, Asa, who was a tzaddik of a king, and he was followed by his son Yehoshaphat, who was a tzaddik as well. Um, then, then started the problems. And what happened was that Yehoshaphat, who was a good king, a righteous king, had a son named Yoram. Yoram marries the daughter of Achav. So this is where you have the two, the two kingdoms coming together in a, in a negative way. Because Achav, of course, is the worst. The Achav is the worst of the kings of the ten tribes. Achav is a daughter named Atalia who's wicked as well. Atalia marries Yoram. So, the, so the, the daughter of the king of the ten tribes marries the son of the king of the two tribes. And this Yoram is the next king of the two tribes and he becomes idolatrous. Yoram follows in the ways of his father, of his wife and father-in-law, and Yoram becomes idolatrous as well. So now the king of the two tribes is idolatrous as well, and that's Yoram. Yoram is going to have a son, Achazia. Achazia is the next king of the two tribes, and he's going to be idolatrous as well. Now, 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 really, both kings now are part of Achav's family, right? Because the the two tri- on the, uh, the you know and the ten tribes you had Achav and Achav's sons. On the two tribes you have Achav's son-in-law and his son. And now everyone's idolatrous. And that's where Yehu comes into the picture. And Yehu was anointed to really avenge for Hashem Achav and his whole family and destroy Achav and his family. And ultimately, the two kings are killed together by Yehu. Yehu is from the ten tribes, and he kills the king of the ten tribes at the time. 
together with the king of the two tribes at the time. Yehu kills them both. So um, in, in the two tribes, we have Ahaziah, who was killed now by Yehu from the ten tribes. Now, Ahaziah's mother is Atalia. Atalia, who was the daughter of Achav. And this Atalia, who's as wicked as her father, Achav, and that entire family, Atalia tries to, um, she tries to keep the kingdom for herself, and she wants to put to death anyone from the, from the kingdom of David in the two tribes. And she's, she's very successful. She poisons them, as we learned. But ultimately, she has one grandson, the one remaining, uh, one remaining heir to the throne of the Malchus Yehuda, and that's Yoash. And Yoash is spirited away by an ant, Yehoshava, and taken to the Kodesh HaKadoshim, or to the Beis HaMikdash. And for six years, Yoash lives in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Um, as he's a child. He's one, two, three, four, five, six years old, seven years old. And Yoash is living in the Beis HaMikdash, in hiding from his grandmother, Atalia, who's the acting king of the two tribes now. After, when he's seven years old, so the Kohen Gadol at the time, who was a tzaddik, Yehoyada, Yehoyada the Kohen Gadol, um, he anoints and appoints this Yoash as the new king. And the Jewish people, the two tribes, accept Yoash. And Atal, much to the chagrin of Atalia, his grandmother, the wicked uh, person who, who took on kingdom for herself, and ultimately she is killed, this Atalia, and Yoash becomes the king of the two tribes. And Yoash, as far as we see in the Navi here, in general, he's a tzaddik. He goes in the ways, his, his Rebbe is Yehoyada the Kohen Gadol. So even though he comes from pretty negative places, right? his father was Ahaziah and his grandmother is Atalia and his great-grandfather is Achav. So this Yoash has a lot of negative yichas, but he's also from the house of David. And Yoash leads the Jewish people. Um, and we had a whole section that we learned two weeks ago, how he dealt with the tzedakah for the Beis HaMikdash and the Bedek Abayis, and he made different types of pushkas in the Beis HaMikdash to support the Beis HaMikdash. And that's the story of Yoash. So Yoash, as far as we see him here in the Navi, in Perik Yudalaf and Yudbeis, seems to be a righteous king. At the very end, it's unclear. It says he was killed by some type of a plot of some people of his own kingdom, and Yoash, Yoash was killed. That is what we read together in the Navi here. But what I mentioned then was that in the book of Divrei Hayamim, and a few times we cross-reference the Tanakh that we're learning here with Divrei Hayamim. Divrei Hayamim is also a book of Tanakh, obviously. And Divrei Hayamim goes through the history of the times and deals, a lot of the details that we learn here are filled in by Divrei Hayamim. There's a, lot, there's a number of details that are mentioned there that aren't mentioned here. Um, the Sefer that we're learning in Melachim is written by Yirmiyahu. Um, Divrei Hayamim is written by Ezra. They both are all Nevi'im, obviously. So in the book of Divrei Hayamim, we read about a part of the story of Yoash that's totally not mentioned here. And that is that though Yoash initially was a good and righteous king and he followed the ways that he was taught by the Kohen Gadol, Yehoyada, who took care of him in the Beis HaMikdash for six years, but then after Yehoyada passed away, it seems that Yoash went um, a little bit or a lot off the proper derech, this King Yoash. And the way Chazal explained is an interesting thing. It says in Dirayam, it says that after Yehoyada the Kohen Gadol dies, the, the Sarim, the ministers come and they bow before Yoash. What's, what's that bowing all about that's being, that's being alluded to? And the, and the Chazal say that people came to Yoash and they told him, listen, you lived six years in the Beis HaMikdash. That makes you like a god yourself. Well, like an angel, like a spiritual being, a spiritual power. Now, the Beis HaMikdash is a place that knows a lot to go into. And uh, even the Kohen Gadol just goes in at special times in the Kedosh HaKadoshim. 
and the Beis HaMikdash was your home for six years. So the people started flattering Yoash and telling him that he has divine powers and spiritual powers, and it seems that some of that went to his head. And that ultimately, idolatry started creeping back into the Jewish people under Yoash, under the King Yoash. And then we have a story that happens that we know it from other sources. Um, we talk about it on Tishabov, and that is there was a Navi named Zechariah. And Zechariah was the son of Yehoyada the Kohen Gadol. That same Kohen Gadol who protected Yoash for six years in the, in the Beis HaMikdash. And he's the one then who proclaimed him as king, and he's the one who protected him. Um, Yehoyada the Kohen Gadol had a son named Zechariah. After Yehoyada passes away, after the Kohen Gadol passes away, the Navi that's in, that's the, the Navi of the time, or one of the Navi of the time, was this Zechariah. And as the people were becoming idolatrous, Zechariah would rebuke them. And one time Zechariah was rebu rebuking them in the Beis HaMikdash. And the people were so incensed by his rebuke that they killed him. They stoned him to death in the Beis HaMikdash, Zechariah the Navi. And this was... It's not clear if it was at the behest of the king or the king didn't, um, didn't protest, didn't protect Zechariah. But this is considered a terrible sin of Yoash, of Yoash and his people. That they let the Navi Zechariah be killed in the Beis HaMikdash. And it's not just letting a Navi be killed. This is, the, this is the son of the one who really made Yoash the king of Yehoyada the Kohen Gadol. And therefore this was considered a, ter a terrible sin, a stain on Yoash and on his people of that time. And in fact, much later when we talk about on Tishabov and the Kinnas of Tishabov, there's the whole story of the of the um, of the blood that was found on the floor of the Beis Hamikdash when the uh, terrible uh, Nevuzadron, one of the uh, terrible um, uh, generals, um, one of the terrible uh, generals of Nebuchadnezzar, and he came to the Beis Hamikdash and he sees blood uh, boiling on the floor, and that's the blood of Zechariah Hanavi, who was killed many, many years earlier, but that's still there, representing a stain for the Jewish people, and this Nebuzadron kills thousands of Jewish people to avenge that blood. All of that happened here, at this point of the Navi, under the kingdom of Yosh. And it's not clear why the Navi here doesn't say anything about this. Right here in the, in the Malachim that we're learning, he doesn't say anything about this. And this story is filled in by the book of Divrei HaYomim. But either way, we're talking about the same king, we're talking about the same period of time. And all this is the story of the king, of the king Yoash, again, who's the king who's sort of like almost miraculously saved and spends the first six years of his life in the Mesa Mikdash. And he is the, again, the grandson to Atalia and, and to... Uh, and ultimately to Yoram and and uh, and um, Asa and Yehoshaphat, all the Malchibis David. So that that brings us. I just wanted to fill that in that piece which we didn't fill in. We didn't have time last time. That brings us to Perik Yud Gimel. Um, at the end, the last pasuk of Perik Yud Beis is when you have these people who put who killed this Yoash, and he's buried in the Ir David, and his son Amatzia is made the next king of the two tribes. So we're going to stop here with the two tribes, and in Perikid Gimel, we're going to go back to the, to the ten tribes. As we know, we go back and forth. So, but that's where we're holding now. At the end of Perikid Beis, the king Yoash, um, son of Ahaziah, son of Yoram, son of Yoshaphat, son of Asa, all the way back up. So this Yoram was just killed. His, his son, Amatsia, is instated as the new king of the two tribes, and we'll read about Amatsia later. Perikid Gimel opens up now, going back across the river, not, 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 a literal, not a literal river, but going to the other side of the divide, and we're going to go to the ten tribes now. In the ten tribes, what was going on over there? So 
of course, it was Yehu who was the one who had killed, who had killed uh, the uh, the remaining the remaining kings of the house of Achav, and then Yehu had become king. And if you recall, Yehu, um, he had a very terrible job. His job was really to re- to take Hashem's revenge of the house of Achav, and he did a, a good job of that. And therefore, Yehu, you might recall, it was promised to him that the next four generations of kings of the ten tribes would be of his descendants. And we're going to learn tonight about those four generations of the descendants of Yehu. So the Pasuk says in Perikud, again, beginning of Perikud Gimel, that the next king after Yehu was Yehoachaz. Yehoachaz, the son of Yehu, and he ruled over the ten tribes in the city of Shomron for 17 years. That was Yehoachaz, the son of Yehu, the king of the ten tribes. He, like most of the kings of the ten tribes, um, was bad. And it was bad meaning, he did bad in the eyes of Hashem by leaving the, um, the, the uh, idols that Yeruvim, the first king of the ten tribes, had erected and therefore brought that basic sense of idolatry to the Jewish people, although the Baal is not really an issue anymore because that was destroyed with Achav and his family, but there still is idolatry going um, on amongst the ten tribes. And as the Pasuk says, therefore Hashem is angry with them and he gives them in the hands of Chazoel, that king of Aram, who was also anointed by Elisha way back to, 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 to take care of the vengefulness of Hashem. And um, so he was in the hand of uh, Chazoel, the, the uh, king of Aram, and Ben-Hadad, who was the son of Chazoel. These, um, the ten tribes were constantly beset by, the, by, their, um, by their enemies from the nation of Aram. At this point it says, Pasuk Dalet, that this Yehoachaz davens to Hashem. So again, he even though he wasn't a uh, wasn't a from king, so to speak, but he wasn't like you know Achav and that family at all. And he did call out to Hashem, and he says like, look, the Jewish people are being afflicted by the kings of Aram, and Hashem listens to him. Hashem listens. He sees the difficulty of the Jewish people, and the pasuk says in pasuk hey, that Hashem gave them a savior. Hashem He gave them a savior, a general who was able to wage their battles. And help them out from the difficulties of Aram. The Pasuk doesn't say who that Moshiach is, who that Savior is. But Rashi says it's the son of Yehoachaz, who's going to be the next king after that. And that is going to be Yoash. And the names are, you see these names keep on coming up on both sides. So Yoash, the son of Yehoachaz, is the one who's going to save the Jewish people at that time from the hands of the, of the nation, of their enemies of Aram. But as the Pasuk says, the Jewish people didn't become better. The, the sins of uh, the house of Yeruvam still existed amongst the Jewish people. And those uh, idols and those, um, the Asherah, the idolatrous trees, they were still very much there. And ultimately there wasn't a lot of, um, of the Jewish people had, were dwindling at the time, the ten tribes, because they were beset by all these battles. Um, and they were, they were, you know, they, they lost a lot. Although right now they're, they're in a state, a state of peace. But nevertheless, they become they become small as far as military mil- militarily. The pasuk says they have very few chariots and riders and so on and so forth. And ultimately, Yehoachaz passes away, as the pasuk says, as we read by many kings, that his the, the history of the times are written up on the his, on the, the books of the time. And Yehoachaz passes away, and he's buried in the Shomron together with the kings of the ten tribes. And the next king is his son Yoash. Yoash, his son. So this is already. A, a, a second generation after Yehu. We'll recall, Yehu was promised four generations of kingdom. We had Yehoachaz. Now the king is going to be his son, Yoash. Yoash, um, and he, 
um, of the of the ten tribes. He too, he too goes in, in the neg- in the same negative ways, and the the sinfulness of Yeruvam says amongst the Jewish people of the ten tribes, um, and um, and he's going to be a king for a number of years. Now we have an interesting um, story, and that's in Pasuk Yudalid. And this is the end of the life of Elisha. Right? We know that Elisha was a tremendous Navi. He was the Talmud, the disciple and successor to Eliyahu Hanavi. And we spent uh, probably two weeks or more discussing the tremendous miracles that Elisha did, just like Eliyahu Hanavi, even more so than Eliyahu Hanavi. But we'll recall Elisha asked from Eliyahu, as Eliyahu was being taken heavenward, that he should have twice the Ruach of Eliyahu, the spirit of Eliyahu, and that request was granted. And now, as the Pasuk says in Pasuk Yedalit, Elisha chola escholyo asher yomus bo. Elisha now became sick with the sickness that he would ultimately die because of that sickness. Now that's an interesting phrase. He became sick with the sickness that he's going to die from, which infers that there were previous sicknesses that he suffered. And the Gemara says something interesting, that Elisha actually suffered three severe illnesses during his lifetime. And the Gemara says that the first one was a punishment. And it was a punishment for the fact that one of the stories we read once is that Elisha was terribly insulted by children at some point after he had become a Navi, and um, Elisha cursed them. And beers appeared uh, miraculously and took 42 children and killed 42 children. And they weren't really children, but they were wicked people. But Elisha was punished for that because he was uh, too strict with them, although obviously they were deserving of punishment, but they shouldn't have been cursed. And that's why Elisha um, suffered one of his illnesses. The second illness, Elisha suffered was also punishment. And that's because he was very harsh with Goichazi. Do you recall Goichazi was Elisha's attendant? Goichazi was the one who he wanted to take um, a payment from Naaman after Elisha had cured him from leprosy. And again, Elisha was, uh, was um, he, he really uh, banished Gechazi. And ultimately, Gechazi began, became totally bad. And Elisha was punished again for being too harsh, too severe with Gechazi. And that's the reason for his second sickness. And now we're reading about the final sickness that he was sick before he passed away. This, Gemara uh, said, wasn't a punishment. It was a sickness from which he passed away. But that's what the Pasuk means when it says that Elisha became sick, the sickness of which he was going to die, because there were other sicknesses that were punishments, punitive, and not the ones that led to his death. So the Pasuk says, Elisha became ill, and Yoash, the king of the Jewish people, came to visit him, and he cried before him. And I, I think it's important to mention, although we mentioned it a few times, these kings, though on the one hand they're considered negative, and there's idolatry going on, they're not, they're not just Rishon. There are people who call out to Hashem from time to time, they respect the Nevi'im, different than an Achav and so on, who's just bad. These were kings that had a... There's, you know, different parts of their personalities, clearly. So this Yoash, Yoash, son of Yehoach, son of Yehu, comes to visit Elisha as Elisha is laying in bed, really dying. And Yoash is crying, and he says, my father, my father, the rider of the Jewish people, the chariot of the Jewish people, he accords tremendous respect to Elisha. And Elisha says, says, I want to say a nevuah, but I want you to do something. He says, I want to take um, a bow and arrows. Take a bow and a couple of arrows. And we'll find something interesting. I don't remember if we discussed it in the past. And that is that many times when a Navi would say Nevuah, he would ask the recipient, the receiver of the Nevuah, to do a physical act that would, so to speak, tie down the Nevuah that it should, that it should be fulfilled physically, in the realm of the physical. By doing an act, 
um, that actually had the ability to tie it down into the physical. Um, somewhat the same, we do a mitzvah, we do a physical act to tie the Kedush of the mitzvah down to the physical. A Navi would ask that something physical be done to tie the Nevuah down. And this is a perfect example. Elisha tells Yoash, he says, I want you to take a, um, a bow and arrows. And he does that. And, uh, and the, so Yoash pulls out a bow and arrows. And Elisha says, take the bow and arrows and go open the window to the, to the east and shoot. And every time you shoot that arrow, that's going to be a Yeshua for Hashem, a salvation for Hashem and his people over, the, over your enemies from Edom. And you will be able to smite and be able to be victorious over Edom through these nevuas of Hashem. And so Elisha says, shoot. He tells, he tells um, Yoash, the king, he says, take your arrows and shoot them. So Yoash takes the arrow, he shoots once, and he shoots twice, and he shoots three times. He shoots three arrows. And the Pusik, and he stops. And the Pusik says, Elisha gets upset. And he says, why did you only do it three times? If you would have done it five times or six times, you would have totally, you would have so much bracha, you would have been totally able to decimate Edom. But now that you only did it three times, you're only going to be able to be victorious over them three times, and then you will not decimate them. They're still going to be around to, uh, to haunt you later. He says, you're, you're lacking the, uh, the amunah and the words of the Navi. I said to shoot, and as many times as you shoot, you'd be, that would give you bracha, and you limited your bracha by not shooting as many times as you can. That's what Elisha tells Yoash. Um, and that's what happens. And that was the end. That was the last conversation. And at this point, Elisha passes away. Pasachov, Vayomus, Elisha. Elisha passes away. Um, and, they, um, and they buried him. They buried Elisha. And then the Pasach says a very fascinating story. I think we may have mentioned it at some point. The Pasach says... Um, it doesn't say. Okay. It, it says they buried him. Let me see. I did not notice it in the Mepharshim. Let me see if I see something here now. It doesn't say. At least not in the Tanakh and the Mepharshim that I'm using here. It doesn't say. Um, perhaps it does say in other sources. And if it doesn't say anywhere in the Mepharshim, definitely the Israeli tour guys know. That's for sure. <laughs> but um, So the Pasuk says that... Um, but here we have a, a fascinating story. It says, they buried Elisha. Now then, at some point later, it doesn't say how long, different Mepharshim say it happened right away or sometime later, there was a, a, a burial procession, not Elisha's. A person was being buried. And they saw a, they were being attacked by some type of a, um, a battalion from Edom or somewhere else. So the burial procession, they were holding a body, and, but they were being attacked. So they dropped the body and they ran. That body dropped right into the uh, the cave where Elisha was buried. You have to remember that in the olden days it was very common to bury in caves. Not, not a full grave that you dig in and you cover, but a cave, and inside the cave there was an area where the body was. So when they dropped this body, the body, again, a burial procession was going, and they, were, they saw an attacking a battalion of, some, of troops, so they dropped the body and ran. That body dropped and came right near where Elisha was, was, was buried. And a tremendous niece happens, and as the body touch, touches the remains of Elisha, the body becomes alive and the person walks out. That person became alive by touching the remains of Elisha. And that's the story. The, the Tanakh doesn't go any further into that story. But it's interesting that the Mepharshim bring that in the Gemara, there's two opinions what that miracle was all about. One and two actually like uh, almost opposite opinions. 
One says that this person, the person who died, was a fine, regular person. And the reason he became back alive was Tchiyas HaMesim. Because since he touched, since his body had the schus of coming to the remains of Elisha, and Elisha had the tremendous power of Tchiyas HaMesim even when he was alive, and he did the Tchiyas HaMesim for the son of the Ben Ashunamis, as we learned in the past. So he did another Tchiyas HaMesim even after he passed away. We have the concept that Sadiqim's power do not stop at death. To the contrary, it only gets greater. So Elisha, who performed Tchiyas HaMesim during his lifetime, performed Tchiyas HaMesim after his lifetime when a body came in contact with his remains. That's one opinion in the Gemara. The other opinion, and according to this opinion, this person who became alive lived then for many years. He lived, had children, and so on and so forth. The second opinion is to the contrary. This person who was being buried was a Russian. And because he was a Russia, when he fell down, when he was dropped and he, and he landed near Elisha, it couldn't be that a Russia should remain buried together with Elisha. Elisha is such a tremendous sadik and navi, it wasn't covetic for him to be buried, to remain buried together with a Russia. And therefore, a tchiyas amesim happened so that this Russia should stand up, leave the kever, and then die 100 feet later or 200 feet later. He died right away. So, and as according to the second opinion of the Gemara, this wasn't a Tchiyas HaMesim for the sake of reviving that person, so he should have an hour of good life. To the contrary, this was just a Tchiyas HaMesim so that he shouldn't be buried near Elisha. As the Gemara says, that this is one of the uh, sources that we don't bury a Russia near a Tzaddik. Now, a Tzaddik bur is buried in a special place, and a Russia is not buried next door to a Tzaddik. In fact, uh, the Rebbe uses that in Sichas to explain, to, go, to launch off into a whole thing about, we know that in the Mara Samach Pela, excuse me, the Marasam Achpelah says that the that Esav, Esav's head is together with Yaakov Avinu. So the Rebbe asks, how is that possible? If we, don't, if we see from the story of Elisha that a Russia can't be buried near a tzaddik, so how could Esav's head be buried together with Yaakov Avinu? And with that, the Rebbe launches off into Esav's head being a higher madriga, and so on and so forth. But that's all based on this story, that a special Nesav, Tchiyas HaMesim, was performed just so that the Russia should not be near the tzaddik of Elisha. Be that as it may, either way, obviously, it's a tremendous miracle that was performed um, by or through or because of Elisha, even after he passes away, after he's buried, that Chiyas HaMesim happens to this person who is, so to speak, by mistake, um, 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 uh, finds himself next to Elisha's remains. So I have a question. You were talking about um, their double, like Elisha will do double the miracles of Eliyahu. Right. And if one is counting all the miracles, would this be considered one of those miracles? Excellent, excellent, excellent. And that, I, I believe the Mepharsh will say it depends according to which opinion of the Gemara. So, in other words, according to the opinion that it was a Tchiyas HaMesim, which was the first opinion, so then this was the second time he did Tchiyas HaMesim, and as such, that's the two for the one that Eliyahu did. Um, according to the second opinion, that this, may, that this person was just revived to get him out of the way, so to speak, so then they say we have to find another place where Elisha did a second Tchiyas HaMesim. So I saw, I saw some say one of the things he did was he healed Naaman from Tsaras, from his leprosy. It says Tsaras, Choshev Kames, leprosy is, is as if one is dead and that, that would be his second Tchiyas HaMesim. So basically according to these two opinions would be, is this one of those where he was double from Eliyahu Navi? Right, thank you for pointing that out. Okay, let's go further. Pasuk Chavbe. So now Elisha has passed away. Um, and I, I mean, it goes without saying, Elisha is definitely one of the greatest Naviim in our history, and definitely uh, there's probably no other Navi about which it's written so many miracles that he performed. That's that's the Navi Elisha, who was the disciple of Leo and Navi. Okay, though he's not as as uh, perhaps as famous as Leo and Navi because 
Eliyahu Navi always has that aspect to him that he didn't die. That's something unique about Eliyahu because we know he was he went to heaven to uh, you know he was taken by the chariot to heaven, body and soul together, and that's why Eliyahu Navi is the one who always comes back and reappears and Gil Eliyahu and will announce the coming of Mashiach. So Eliyahu Navi remains, I guess, the most famous of the Nevi'im, but Elisha, his Talmud definitely is is up there as well. Okay, back to the uh, Navi. We're in Parakid Gimel, we're by Pasuk Chav Beis. And um, we're, we're still talking about the difficult times in the ten tribes. And they are beset by Chazoel, that same king of Aram who's still around. And he is, um, he's, uh, uh, what's the word, Lochatz. He's um, uh, make, making uh, difficulties for the Jewish people throughout the days of, um, of uh, Yehoachaz. And... Oppressing. I'm sorry? Oppressing. Oppressing, oppressing. thank you. Uh, thank you. Um, but Hashem, it says, even though the Jewish people are being idolatrous at the time, Hashem is good to them, and Hashem has Rachmanus on them. Laman brisos Avram Yitzchak Yaakov. At the end of the day, there's always the covenant of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. So Hashem did not allow that they should be destroyed, and did not, um, and, and ultimately um, Hashem saved them from the various oppressions that they were suffering at the hands of the kings of Aram. And ultimately, Chazoel dies, as the Pasuk says, in Pasuk Chavdalit, and his son Ben-Hadad becomes, um, becomes the king after him. And Yosh, this same Yosh that we've been talking about, the one who had just visited Elisha, and the one with the arrows, so uh, he's successful in his battles against Chazoel and then Ben-Hadad, which was all a result of that, that final nevuah that he had received from Elisha, right? We just read that nevuah with the, with the arrows and shooting the arrows three times. And therefore the Pasuk is telling us that those nevuahs were fulfilled, of course. And Yoash was able to be successful in, uh, in some of the battles, it doesn't say how many, of it, against Yoash, uh, against, I'm sorry, um, Chazoel and his son Ben-Hadad. And that, with that we finish Perak Yud Gimel chapter 13. Um, Perek Yudalit. In Perek Yudalit, we're going to go back to the two tribes, right? It's, where it's, it's a continuation of the seesaw, right? Back to the two tribes. Our last king that we had there was Yoash. Yoash, who was the king, right? Who was six years in the Bakoda Chakadashim or in the Holy Temple. I keep on saying Holy Temple and Kodesh Chakadashim because of the various opinions where exactly he was. Be that as it may, that was Yoash, and he was the king, and ultimately he was killed by some of his people, as we saw, and we said that that was due to the fact that ultimately he also um, fell, and uh, the king, and, and Navi Zahari was killed on his watch. So, after Yoash, the, um, the king after him was his son, and that was Amatsiohu. That's the next king uh, and in the, of the two tribes, is Amatsiohu, son of Yoash, Again, going back, son of Achazia, son of Yoram, son of Yoshafat, uh, son of Asa. So, this uh, new king, Amasio, was 25 years old when he became king, and he was going to be a king for 29 years in Yerushalayim. Of course, the two tribes were always based in Yerushalayim. And in general, he was considered a righteous king. As the Pasuk says in Pasuk Gimel, He did what was just and right in the eyes of Hashem. He wasn't on the level of David, his father. Um, in general, he went in proper ways, in the ways of Yoash, his father. Um, it's, it's interesting to point out, and I'm sure we pointed it out in the past, but the kings of the ten tribes are always compared to the first of their kings, which is Yeravam, 
and the kings of the two tribes are always compared to their first king, which is David. That's all, it always goes back to there. David is considered the founding king, so to speak, and it's always, are you like David or you're not like David? And the kings of the ten tribes, are you like Yeravam or you're not like Yeravam? That's always the, that's always how it, uh, how the Navi puts them. So this, this new king, Amatsyohu, he says is a good king, not in the ways of David Mamish, but he's a good king. Um, but nevertheless, there was one critique many times we have of the kings of the two tribes that there were still bumos in their time. The bumos were not removed. We discussed this in the past. Bumos are like private altars for Hashem, made to Hashem. The problem is that they were forbidden because really once you have a Besamikdash, you can't have your private bumma. But nevertheless, these people, many of the people were so connected to bringing Karbanas in different ways and bumos was, that was, the, that was, seems to be a big Yetzirah at the time. So the uh, bumos were still there. As it says in Pasigdal, the nation was still with the bring uh, Karbonos and Ketoros in the various Bamos. Um, as this king um, Amasio became stronger, ultimately he found the people who put his father to death. Remember, his father was his father Yoash was killed by an insider uh, rebellion, and um, this Amasio found those people and he put them to death. But there's an interesting Pasuk here, Pasuk Vav, a telling Pasuk. It says, he did put to death the ones who killed his father, but not their children, not their families. And he says, because that's the halacha in the Torah. He says in Pasuk Vav, an interesting Pasuk, The sons of those who killed his father, he did not put to death. As written in the book of Torah Moshe, which is in the Chumash, um, which Hashem, Hashem told Moshe to say, Lo yumsu avos al banim, ubanim lo yumsu al avos, ki im ish becheto yamus, that a child doesn't die for the sins of the father, the father doesn't, a son doesn't die for the sins of the father, a father for the sins of the son. And the Pasuk, the, here the Navi wants, uh, wants to make very clear that Amasio followed that. He followed that and he did take revenge, he avenged his father's death, but only from the people who actually perpetrated it, not their children. Is that considered one of the 613 mitzvahs not to uh, kill someone who killed, not to kill the offspring of someone who killed your father? It's like that, because you just said that was from punishment, right? Well, no, it's in, it is. It's a pasuk in Chumash. That doesn't mean it's one of the 613 mitzvahs. Okay. Um, I don't remember that it is, but I, I, hate, to admit, I don't remember all 613. You know, I, I, I haven't done chidon in some time. Um, you you got to ask an eighth grader. They would know. But the point is, I don't think it is. I don't think it is, but it's important to remember not everything that's in Chumash gets into the counting of the 613, right? It's not as, uh, there is the Monei HaMitzvahs, you know, the Rambam and the Chinuch and the others that wrote, that made the rules or, or, or showed us the rules that show us how we get to 613 and what are counted as the 613. That's why the Sefer... He thought it was important, he knew Chumash then and thought it was important enough to remember not to do that. Right, and it's also important enough that the Navi, writing this Navi, makes that point. That although he did that, he was careful of this, that Hitake took revenge, and one with, you know, a king can do whatever he wants, especially in, in that times, a king could kill a family like nothing. And these were people that killed his own father. So we're not talking, he wasn't coming from nowhere. And yet, he made this, he, took, he had that very uh, moral approach that only the one who was involved in the crime was the one who was to be put to death. Okay, the pastor goes on and says that he was, uh, uh, success, this Amasya was also successful in various battles against Edom, it seems both the ten tribes and the two tribes had to deal with Edom. You know, Edom were you know, equal opportunity Jew haters. It didn't make a difference. Um, but, uh, and he was successful. But now we have 
another difficult piece, and that is now we're going to have a great battle between the ten tribes and the two tribes. And that didn't, that hasn't happened in many, many years. I mean, it did happen once before, but at this point, this, and it doesn't even say, the, the Pasuk doesn't say why this happened, what caused this battle, and in the Mepharshim that I saw, they, don't, they also don't give a real reason for it. But it says that this Amatzia, who is the king of the two tribes, sends messengers to Yehoash, who is the king of the ten tribes, and he says, come, let's see each other face to face. Now, it's not clear what that means when you say, let's see, it sounds like a meeting for, for tea. But really, it wasn't a meeting for tea. It was a, it was a, um, it was a battle cry. He says, let's fight face to face. It seems, the Mepharshim say, that there was sort of like um, some guerrilla warfare going on where people from the ten tribes would attack the people from the two tribes or vice versa. And, and um, Amatsya says, yo, let's not do guerrilla warfare. Let's, you know, let's fight. Let's fight like, like real, uh, like, 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 like soldiers, like armies would fight. And Yehoash answers in a very um, denigrating way. And he, he, like he, he's metaphoric. He says that the, uh, the thorn is approaching the cedar tree and asking that the cedar tree should come and, and, and you know, be an equal to it. He says, we're what, much greater than you. You know, we're ten tribes. You're only two tribes. You know, you, you don't want to come to battle with us. Do yourself a favor and don't come to battle with us. But, you know, he says, stay at home. Basically, in Pasuk Yud, he says, we'll destroy you. He says, just because you were successful in one battle against Edom, you think you can come fight with me? He says, go, stay in your home. Why would you start with us? And, you, and ultimately, you, call, you will cause your own downfall. But Amatsyahu did not listen. And he did go out to battle against Yoash and his armies. Um, and they, came, they met on the battlefield. And as Yehosh had predicted, the two tribes fell before the ten tribes. The ten tribes were a lot more powerful in battle than the two tribes at this time. Um, and they, they fell in battle, and ultimately the, uh, the two tribes scattered, and they ran off each, uh, each person to his own tent, it says. And Amasio, the king, was captured. Amasio, the king of the two tribes, was captured by, um, by Yehosh of the two tribes. But he didn't do anything to them. He captured them and then, and then brought them back to Yerushalayim. Brought them back home. But it says they broke open the walls to Yerushalayim and they, they took a tremendous amount of gold and silver and vessels from the Beis Hamikdash and from the um, treasure houses of the king. And they really, um, the ten tribes really, um, they, uh, I don't know the right word, but they took a tremendous amount of wealth from the two tribes. And that was the end of that battle. Again, in the Pasuk, there isn't, in the Pasuk or Mepharshim, there isn't much explanation of what was behind this battle and what, what was, you know, what's the point of the story. But that's what happened. That was one of the, uh, one of the battles of the ten tribes versus the two tribes, where the two tribes fell to the ten tribes. The king Amatsia fell to the king Yoash of the ten tribes. The Pasuk goes on and say that, uh, the, and, uh, I'm sorry? Rabbi Silverberg? Yes. Did they, did they kill Amatsio? No, they did not. They did not. It says Amatsio was, was captured. But then brought back to Yerushalayim. He's brought back to Yerushalayim, and um, and that's when they came into Yerushalayim. They broke open the walls to Yerushalayim, and they um, they plundered a lot. They took a lot of the wealth of Yerushalayim and Beis Hamikdash and the king's the king's treasures. But Amasio was not uh, was not captured. Um, and then the pasuk says that okay, and then Yoash passes away a short time after that war. It says and Yoash's history and his strength and his battles with the, uh, the with Amasio. All this is written up in the history of the times. Of Ayishkav Yosh and Avosav, Yosh passes away and is buried in Shomron with 
the previous kings of the ten tribes, and his son Yeravam is the king after him. This Yeravam is the third descendant of Yehu to be king, right? We said it right before. Yehu was promised four kings' descendants. So he had, I'm not remembering now, who was the first one? The first one was it, uh, was it Amatsiyahu? I don't remember. Yehoachaz, and Yehoachaz, and then there's Yoash, and now there is Yeravam, who is going to be the third descendant of Yehu to ascend to the throne. Now, Amatsiyahu, who was the king of the two tribes, who's just basically trounced in battle against the ten tribes. And again, we have here a missing piece of information that we have to fill in from Divrei Hayamim. And that is that when, after losing in battle so terribly, Amatsiyahu um, also stooped to Avodizar. And it says that he, uh, on the way back, actually, I, I'm sorry, it says it actually after the earlier battle. I, I, make, I, I just made a mistake, I'm sorry, I want to correct myself. Um, before the, for the, the battle of the two tribes against the ten tribes, Amasio was successful in a battle against Edom. On the way back from that battle with Edom, he brought back some Avodah from Edom. And that's when Amasio also uh, brought some Avodah into his kingdom, Amasio of the two tribes. Um, it's interesting that that proceeded when he went to the battle against the ten tribes. So he started doing Avodah and then he went to battle against the ten tribes, and then he lost. You know, although I said before, the Mepharshim don't give any real reasons, but if we put two and two together, right after he started Avodah he went into battle against the Ten Tribes and lost in that battle. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if there's a connection of his stooping to Avodah then going to battle against the Ten Tribes and losing that battle as well. As well because in the history of events, that's what seems to have happened over here. Um, so it's at this point, Pasuk Yuzayin, that it says that Amatsyo, <coughs> excuse me, that um, Amasio continues to live another 15 years or so, but, and the, the life of Amasio was written up in the life of the times, but ultimately he was forced out of his kingdom. The people did not, were not happy with him. And there was a rebellion against this Amasio, and he had to leave Yerushalayim. He had to escape Yerushalayim and live in a city called Lachish. And he lived there for a number of years. Rabbi, uh, I thought you said he was captured by Yerush. Captured and immediately released. Oh, yes, captured and released. Captured and then brought back to Yerushalayim, and when Yoash breaks into Yerushalayim, he releases Amatsiyahu. At this point, though, there's a rebellion against Amatsiyahu. Now, it's not clear. The rebellion could have been because he started doing Avodah Zarah. The rebellion could have been because he led the Jewish people into a battle that he lost, right? The battle of the two tribes against the ten tribes. That was Amatsiyahu's doing. He was the one who, so to speak, picked the fight. And he lost, he lost the battle, and he lost all the wealth of the, of the two tribes then. Be that as it may, the fact is, the Pasuk says, that a rebellion begun, began against this Amasio and the two tribes, and he had to escape. And I believe it was for the last like 15 years of his life that he lived there. But ultimately, the people reached him there, and he was killed by his own people. This king of Amasio, he was killed there in his hideout in Lachish. He was brought back and buried in Yerushalayim with all the kings of, of the house of David. And they took his son and made him the next king. And his son was Azariah. Um, Azariah, or he's also known to us by his, a name that he's probably more known as Uziyahu. But Azariah and Uziyahu is the same thing. His name initially was Azariah, then he was called Uziyahu. Um, and he was only 16 years old at the time when his father was killed. And he became the king 
after his father um, Amatsiohu. Um, and it says he built up certain cities. Um, he built up certain cities. This is the city of uh, Eilat. Uh, I don't know and I don't think that it's the Eilat of today. Um, but he, uh, he was able, he was successful. He was a good king for the, for the uh, kingdom of Yehuda. Um, so while he was the king for the for the two tribes, now Amasio, right? Because <coughs> excuse me, Amasio was killed. So now Azaria, Azaria is now instated as the king of the two tribes, and on the side of the ten tribes, we have Yeravam, the son of Yoash. So it's the two sons. It's the, it's the two sons of the two fathers who waged battle, right? You had the battle of Amasia against Yoash, of the ten tribes and the two tribes, and they're both gone now. Yoash is gone because he died shortly after the battle. Amatsia is gone because he was killed by the rebellion. And now their two sons are the two kings of the Jewish people. So back on the side of the ten tribes, the new king now is Yeravam. And that's what we're going to discuss until the end of the Perik. Uh, that Yeravam did bad in the eyes of Hashem and did not remove himself from the sinfulness that started from Yeravam, the first king of the ten tribes. And he was um, he continued in the negative form of leadership for the ten tribes. However, though he was negative as a leader, and though the, the idolatry was something that was uh, on, very much ongoing in his time, he was hugely successful as the king of the ten tribes and brought them a tremendous amount of wealth uh, uh, and, um, and peace. And that's what the Psukim discuss um, in Pasuk and Pasuk and Chavzayin, that under this king Yeravah, who is the great-grandson of Yehu, so the, he returned the Gvul Yisrael, the properties of the Jewish people and the borders of the Jewish people, from one, ear, from one end to the other end in the, in the initial land of Eretz Yisrael, in a way that was, for many years before him, that they didn't have that, or maybe the Ten Tribes never had, the type of uh, flourishing um, uh, land like under this new king of Yeravam. And as the Pasuk says in Chavav, that it's because, well, it, it actually in Chafei there's something, it says, as Hashem spoke in, through his servant Yonah ben Amitai Hanavi, uh, which was a fulfillment of a prophecy of Yonah. Now, we know who Yonah is. We don't know which prophecy he's talking about here. We don't know of a prophecy where Yonah said that the Jewish people would be specifically successful in that period of time. We know Yonah was another at that time. So the Mepharshim talk about this. Some say that, well, Yonah said a nevuah that's not recorded here. And he recorded that they would be successful. Um, there's other pirushim, but the, the Apostle doesn't say which nevuah we're talking about. But it does say that Hashem at this point was just having rachamim and kal Yisrael. He saw the difficulty and the poverty of the Jewish people. And therefore, Hashem did not want them to be destroyed and gave them a Yeshua in the time of this Yeravam, son of Yoash, king of the ten tribes. Can I just clarify? So you said that there were three descendants of Yehu, and then the fourth one was the promised king, and that's the the Nevuah that you're just talking about right now. That there was supposed to be four kings. Yeah, we didn't get to the fourth yet. We're still on the third. Oh, this guy's not the fourth one. I believe he's the third. Yeravam. Okay. Yeravam. Okay, so who was the Navi? Who's the Navi who, who made the prophecy? Yona. Okay, so that's what you're talking. About. Yeah. So Yon. It, 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 the pasuk says that they were very successful in that time. Like the Nevuah of Yonah ben Hamitai Hanavi. But it doesn't say which Nevuah. It seems that, that Yonah was there and he was Menabe. He prophesied that it would be good, and it was. But the Pasuk doesn't give more details about that Nevuah, just that Hashem blessed that time with a tremendous abundance for the ten tribes. 
And the Pasuk finishes in Chavav, and all the rest, as we saw by so many of the kings, that the rest of the life of Yeravam, and all he did, and his strength, and his battles, and the cities that he returned to the Jewish people, are all written up in the histories of the time of the kingdom of Yisrael. Vayishkav Yeravam, Imavosav Yeravam lived and ultimately passed away, like his fathers, the kings of, of the ten tribes, and was buried together with the kings of the ten tribes, and his son Zechariah became king after him. And that Zechariah is the, is the final fulfillment of that prophecy that Yehu would have four kings of his descendants after him. That was Zechariah, son of Yeravam, uh, son of Yoash, son of Yoachas. Those were the four descendants of, the, of Yehu that were promised to him as a reward for him fulfilling the missions that Hashem gave him at that time. So that's, well, that's the end of Perik Yudalid. And now the king of the Jewish people of the ten tribes is Zechariah. And back on the side of the two tribes, it's Azariah or Uziah, who we will begin discussing in the beginning of Perek Tezvav next week in Mirza Hashem. Okay, so we'll, we'll stop here.